0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Daniel Lue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. I'm really excited about having on a guest that I've never had on Real Jam Radio in any of its iterations before, but somebody that I've known and talked to plenty. Jonathan Gavoni of Draft Express, now a part of ESPN. And while we do talk about the 2018 draft, the players that are interesting, some of the guys on the top end who he's watching, something that I wanted to talk with Jonathan about was really what his process is in terms of the games that he watches, in terms of his travel and everything like that. And I thought that's something that I've never heard him talk about on a podcast. It was something that I was interested in, something he and I have never actually discussed. So I focused a lot on that sort of thing as well, because he does wonderful analysis. You should absolutely read it and watch it and consume what he and Mike Schmitz and the Draft Express group do and have done. But I thought, okay, what can I add to this picture as opposed to... What can I get from them or from Jonathan in this case that you cannot get anywhere else? And so that's really what I focused on here. Hope you really enjoy it. Conversation is a little bit shorter than most of these. Jonathan's a very busy guy, as many of you know. Conversation runs a little less than an hour, but I think there's plenty there to to enjoy. And this is not as time sensitive a podcast, at least the first half, but I would say overall as many of them. But I still think if you have it on already, you might as well enjoy it because I'm very happy with it and I think you will be too. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, no problem, Danny. Thanks for having me. I thought a, an interesting place to start with you is something that actually the two of us have never discussed and I've always found interesting, which is kind of how you decide what you're going to do, what events you're going to cover. I mean, there's you you handle so many things, you address so many, and I thought maybe a place to start with that could be you wrote a, a great piece for ESPN at the end of the 2017 calendar year about that Ten day trip that you took in Europe. When you're planning this out, how early do you plan it out, and what goes into your decision making process?
0: Well, I'm really anal about my travel, and I yeah, I'm already looking at uh, June, July. You know, I mean, I'm always uh, trying to book stuff as far in advance as as I can, and I mean, you need to stay flexible because you don't know what's going to pop up. But um, doing this for as long as I have. You know where you need to be essentially. I would say 75% of your travel is kind of mapped out in advance based on events that you know you have to go to camps that, you know, you've attended in the past that have been good for you. You know, there, there's really no secrets in terms of, you know, where the players are. And then once you kind of get past that, then you start looking at, you know, who are the prospects that you want to evaluate? Who are, you know, some late rising guys, some unknown players that, that pop up and you start, you know, trying to work your schedule around that and figuring out how do you make sure that you're seeing everybody and that, you know, you're out there and you're, you're doing a good balance of uh, this year's draft as well as next year and beyond the process of evaluating these players. Um, you know, we're not just thinking right now about the 2018 draft. You, you have to keep the, in the back of your mind, who are the players that are, that are popping up? You know, because we're in this for the long haul. You know, I'm thinking about 2019, 2020, even 2021 just to make sure you're aware of who those guys are and, you know, do you have a baseline for them? You know, the first time that I saw, you know, uh, I don't know, RJ Barrett, you know, was, was, you know, when he was, you know, 15 years old. And I think that that's important in terms of understanding how is he developing physically? How is he developing skill wise? What type of not just player, but person he is, you know, how does he react to adversity? And, uh, you know, all that really goes into just the the, the long term evaluation that that you're doing you know we want to get this right as much as we can so it, and that's a long winded answer but um uh, i think uh you got a pretty good idea of where we're standing with that
1: And something that I've really enjoyed about your work for a long time now is that it's watching them, of course, is important, but also just the backlog that you guys have of conversations with a lot of these guys. And, And really, to me, there is something that I have grown to appreciate more, especially now that I've gone back to watching some of the youth stuff of talking to these guys and really seeing how they tick in that way. That There are elements that you can get by these direct interactions while, of course, watching them and watching them play is important. That there is something that you can get there that is unavailable any other way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I found that you know, going—it's very important for me to go back to our evaluations, figure out you know what did we get right, what did we get wrong, and through the years, I found that guys who have exceeded what we thought their potential was, or guys who ended up being bust, or or just didn't develop—you know—the the real the characteristic that identifies those guys is. Uh, you know, what type of people are they? How is their work ethic? What, what is their character? And, you know, while you're not going to get a full evaluation of that, you know, from your first conversation with them, it helps to kind of get an understanding of, of who these people are and, you know, what their maturity level is and asking them different questions about basketball and just, you know, kind of getting a feel for how well do they understand their own game and what they need to improve on. And uh, it's interesting to hear them talk about themselves, especially at a young age. And also, I think that helps later on because, you know, we're around these guys so much. It's good to have, you know, a little bit of a relationship with them. So you're not just one of a thousand people just hitting them up, but you've been there you know, a little bit earlier on, and you've treated them fairly, you know, I'm not trying to be their friends. That's the last thing I want to do. But um, at least to, um, you know, I, I think these guys appreciate that. And, and they remember that, too.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the basic idea that it, it's not really a gotcha question or anything like that, you're just, it's just basically giving them a forum to do it. And something that made me think of was for the 2017 draft because of course you guys cover so much more ground than because because our workloads are different than I could ever dream of doing so that's part of the reason why I use your stuff but so from 2017 those guys are now already in the league as kind of that more of that element rather than the the scouting on the court element do you remember who really stood out to you kind of as people from the interview process uh,
0: I mean we, we we could go through it I mean but I mean I think Donovan Mitchell is one guy that really kind of jumps off the page. If you watch, you know, the first interview we did with him, which was, I think, after his junior year of high school or something like that. Um, I think he was at an Under Armour event in New York. And then also just the interview a few weeks before the draft, when his stock was really starting to rise and it really was looking like, you know, being a lottery pick was was what's coming for him. You could really see that this guy had it figured out in terms of who he is as a player what he needs to to do in order to reach his potential and you know, what his role is going to be in the NBA and, you uh, know, and, uh, and what he needs to do to, you know, to, to get there because, you know, this is, he was not, he was not the most highly touted guy earlier on in his career. And I think what, what allowed him to, you know, to get to where he is now, you know, a guy who is, you know, a 20 point per game scorer as a rookie, which is amazing is, you know, his character and his work ethic and also obviously being in the right situation helps. And, you know, with Utah, they've done an amazing job with him. And there's some, you know, there's, he was fortunate to a degree too, to, you know, there was so much opportunity there for him to step into, but to his credit, he was ready to, to accept that. I mean, not, not every guy is ready to, to play that, that type of role right away. Uh, so I I think Donovan Mitchell is is a guy that stands out, but you know, you could, if you go back through the years and you see the the players that are drafted, you know, in the top 10, 15 picks, you're not going to find a lot of bad dudes in there. I mean, I do think that the reason a lot of these guys, you know, reach their potential and are drafted really high is because they have really strong character. And I do think that, you know, you see guys early on who are really talented and you you kind of question whether they're going to make it or not and a lot of that is based on you know maybe they don't have the right people around them maybe their background isn't as good and and sometimes it's not their fault but uh, I do think that's a really strong thread that that we've seen through the years
1: and I can't speak directly to how the process has changed because I haven't been doing it for, you know, that 10 to 20 to 30 years that I think you would necessarily do it. But it seems like now, and this is just true also once they get into the NBA, is that you have to improve so much that relying on physical potential is generally, you know, that can can get you some of the way, but it can't get you all the way. And so a guy like Donovan Mitchell, that was something I remember hearing in the process from people who had been following him because that wasn't something I was able to do. Was just how hard he worked to get better when he was in college and, you know, working on his jump shot, which has been so important to him in his, you know, these first few months as a professional. And that is a part of it for everybody because nobody ever starts out this process with it all figured out. And usually the guys who come the closest when they're young did that work early, like LeBron James. I mean LeBron James didn't wasn't didn't come out of the womb an unbelievable passer. He had to work at that. It just happened at a different age than for most guys.
0: Yeah, I I, I do think that if you wake up before your senior year of college and you said, hey, I want to become a good player, it's, to an extent, it's just, it's just way too late. You know, I mean, there, there's physical outliers, guys who can kind of rest on their laurels and just be bigger and stronger and more athletic. And then, you know, get to the NBA and then, you know, the light bulb kind of comes on. But that, that's pretty rare. I think most of these guys, every day that they're not working on their game, it, it is a day that they can't get back later on.
1: I don't intend to bounce forward as much, but I just thought of one question we were talking about the idea of athletes is that two guys that I, I think about this a lot going back to the 2016 Adidas Nations camp, which we were at, which we were at together, was how at that point, remember, this is now a year and a half ago, Zion Williamson and Hamadou Diallo already looked like NBA athletes and how rare that, how rare that was to me and how it's still, you know, for Diallo, he could, he'll be draft eligible in 2018. but Zion but Zion. and it's still another year and so that sort of thing a guy can absolutely pop early but that's not all that there is in terms of being an NBA player
0: I mean it gets you on the radar but you know if you look at college basketball as a whole I mean there are some really athletic guys on almost every roster you you go through even you know at the mid-major ranks and so you know I think that's one of the things that I try to do the most of is you know evaluating different guys at different levels of play in high school, for example, and just trying to figure out why is this guy an ACC player? Why is this guy an Atlantic 10 player? Why is this guy going to end up in the Sun Belt? You know, and then just following them throughout their careers. And, you know, we, we keep really detailed notes. Every game that we watch, whether it's live or on film, and we have a huge database of, you know, going back just years and years on on pretty much every player, including guys who are, you know, at the end of a, of, a, of a team's bench and so it really helps us kind of get understanding of okay that guy was he wasn't a, he made it to the Atlantic 10 but you know where is he going to play now professionally is he you know is he a G League starter is he a G League backup is he a guy that going to play in France is he going to play in Italy is he a second division Italian league player is he for Scandinavia you know because I've been trying to help out teams at all these different levels, both in college and the NBA and internationally. And it's really under, important to understand the different levels of basketball. And I think it helps you with your evaluations for the NBA because it's really easy to say, to look at a guy and say, oh, that guy's a pro, but... You know what what level of pro is he, and, and and what separates him. And you know you do have to look at guys in the G League too and say, okay, how is how is Hamidou Diallo different than Derek Jones or you know someone someone like that at the same age and also you know at this stage of Jones's development, why did why is he on that track? And then there are different players, obviously, but so theres there's a lot that goes into it and I think honestly I think the most important thing in this business is experience and you know learning from your mistakes just trying to figure out you know wh- why certain guys reach different levels and, and it, it doesn't always make sense honestly I mean there's not a ton of logic to it there's so many outliers and so it's um you know it, it's a fun part of the process just figuring out why you were right why are you were wrong sometimes you were right but you know for the wrong reasons and sometimes you were wrong but You know, because there were variables that you weren't aware of or whatever. So, I mean, that that's a really it's a really important part of it. I think that people don't people don't pay enough attention to.
1: And part of the goal is always just to make your process better. I mean, you're always gonna we're all always gonna make mistakes. That's just the nature of this business. But you try not to make mistakes for the same reason or to not have the same flaw. And so you keep working through it and use every single thing as a learning experience because that's really the best way to take it. I mean, you go in that direction. And it's always fun because if everybody or anybody got it right all the time, it would be a lot less interesting than it is right now. Yeah, sure. Of course, that's impossible. You
0: you have to understand what your limitations are. You know, we could have a whole, you know, long conversation about our cognitive biases and all that and that's something that you know I've tried to to learn more of because you know your your brain plays tricks on you and it's important to kind of know the tricks that your brain is going to try and play on you in advance so you can kind of recognize it when it does happen you know I was looking at A kid from Belmont this weekend, Dylan Winder, and, you know, who's he's one of the best mid-major players in college basketball. And I'm watching and I'm thinking to myself, hmm, he reminds me of Joe Harris. And then I'm thinking about the reason why he reminds you of Joe Harris is because he looks like him. I mean, that's like that's just unacceptable. It's not a way that you that's how mistakes get made. And if you actually dig into it, he doesn't play like Joe Harris at all. It just that just it's important to understand that that's going to happen and to, to realize and say, okay, stop, you know, like, that's bullshit, you know, let's dig a little bit deeper and really figure out, you know, who this guy is. And it happens to us all, and it just, you know, the the more you you go through this process, the more you understand that you're going to get it wrong, and, you know, it kind of – you can't have that arrogance about you where you watch a guy for five minutes and say, oh, I got it all figured out, you know, I mean, that's just – that's just
1: not how it works. One that I had for a long time, and still have a little bit just because I enjoy watching those kind of guys play so much, is taller guys that are listed as point guards, but don't necessarily reliably create separation. Like, for a long time, just like, oh, look, they can defend multiple positions, and so like, the guy who was kind of the pinnacle, if you will, of this for me was Dante XM. and XM like, I saw his physical potential right away, and I, and... I was, for whatever reason, able to reconcile the things that he didn't do well far better than other people. Like, there there are guys all over the board and people who listen to the podcast they do will, will have a pretty good idea of what this is. And that's an important part of it, too, of, like, what elements are easy to improve, what elements of it are hard to improve, and what is the general timeline? And like, there is a reason why point guards develop later, because there's so much that they have to pick up, especially at the NBA level, though I'm sure that's true internationally as well but that doesn't mean every young guy with a flaw is going to get better over time. No, it doesn't.
0: And and also it's not all in that player's control too whether he's going to be put in a situation where he's going to be able to work through mistakes and is he going to have the right coaching staff, you know, who's going to help him, who's going to recognize what his flaws are and recognize what his potential can be in the NBA and to help him, you know, get there. And that's something that Sometimes you're right during the scouting evaluation process, but the guy goes to the wrong place and, and never materializes. And, so, and there's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes too that you don't realize. I mean, I think NBA teams they pay very close attention to you know what agent does a guy sign with because you know there there are some agents who, who aren't going to be realistic with their player and they're not. They're almost the guy that needs to tell the guy the most. You need to work on this. You know, we need to get you with a trainer to work on your shooting. If you're going to have an agent, who's just going to tell you. Oh, you're the greatest thing ever. You're gonna be a lottery pick. Your coach screwed you. This team that you're on, they're not doing a good job. We gotta ask for a trade. That's just not gonna be healthy for the player. And that that might be one of the reasons why a guy doesn't reach his potential, is just he doesn't you know, he's not getting the right advice.
1: Yeah, that I don't think about that as much, but you're right. That's another element in terms of decision making and really trying to predict what's going on in a guy's head, what their motivation is. And that also ties in with the idea of, I think John Hollinger coined the term of a second draft, but the idea of, okay, what players that have struggled where they are are going to be better than they have been so far. And so I know a lot of teams have taken gambles on, let's say, players from Sacramento because they've thought, oh, that's a weird circumstance. I mean, there was the whole thing with with Stauskas and Ben Macklemore. Both of those guys are, broadly speaking, disappointing in their new locales, though Macklemore has been hurt a lot of this year. And if you can be good at that consistently, there's a ton of value to it, too, because the players that fall through the cracks once— that are actually good can be really, really valuable. But again, that's a difficult game as well.
0: Yeah. I wonder sometimes if NBA teams place too much value on the draft and, you know, they, they overrate their picks to a certain extent because it's so hard to play in the NBA from a young age. And just naturally, you know, most of these guys are, are going to fail. And so, you know, maybe where they should be investing more resources is Uncovering guys in Europe who are, you know, in their mid, mid to, to late twenties that can help you plucking guys off teams rosters. Like you said, who failed on their rookie contract, but you know, maybe something clicked for them, whether it's physically or, or mentally or, or skill wise that will, you know, allow them to reach their full potential because they're just, there just aren't, there are very, very few guys who are, who are good enough to play in the NBA at age 19 or 20 and, you know, it, it's a shock to the system for a lot of these guys being drafted onto an NBA team and, you know, having to reconcile with the fact that they're no longer the best player on their team. And, you know, it can be a real ego hit for a lot of these young guys uh, because, you know, they've been the man at every level that they've played at. And all of a sudden they go somewhere and they're very low on the totem pole. And for a lot of those guys, it's hard for them to recover from that because they just, you know, it's just such a foreign concept for them. And um, you know, I wonder how many guys are kind of slipping between the cracks because, you know, they weren't good in their first go around in the NBA and then they just never got a second chance. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of guys in the NBA this year, you know, like Darius Miller or, or, or Shane Larkin or, you know, guys who, who were, who were just okay. Their first time around in the NBA, they had to go to Europe and they had to kind of rediscover their game. And then they come back and they're, you know, they're much better players then. And I, I wonder how many guys like that just never get that chance in the NBA because, you know, it's very much you're out of sight, you're out of mind. And once once you fail, it's really, really hard to get that second chance. So, you know, I think a lot of players in the NBA, they come into the league and they don't realize that, you know, it's now or never, you know. I mean, if you're going to dick around, if you're going to go out every night and party and not work on your game and really, you know, get caught up in the NBA lifestyle – You know, you could be flushed out of the league in two or three years and you might not get another chance after that.
1: Yeah, that's really true. And another part of it, I often think of O.J. Mayo for this element is the idea that being a good support player in the NBA and being the best player on your college team are so different, not only in terms of what you have to think about mentally, but also the physical element. I mean, they're just you're asking, you know, you're doing less with the ball in your hands. You're asked to do more catch and shoot or quick attacks and things like that. And there is a challenge. Uh, it's something that people are people are getting better at. It's something that you've done a good job of for years, you and you and Mike in particular, of projecting that difference that most guys cannot walk into the NBA with the same role that they played before. And so you're projecting them into something different. You know, a guy like Doug McDermott is a good example of this. I mean, you could go to Mildred she he was a volume scorer at Creighton and then had to become something very different as a pro. And that also leads to some guys falling through the cracks because they weren't that type of guy and they're going to have to go into something different.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, and you talk about OJ Mayo, you know, I think you can kind of go back to what, what we said about, you know, getting caught up in the NBA lifestyle. I don't know if we saw the best of OJ Mayo, you know, I mean, the, the guy, he's suspended for two years right now, you know, for violating the NBA's, you know, drug policy. Um, you know, you wonder how, how much of that was going on earlier in his career too. I and mean, I remember the guy was, he came out of the gates. He was, I think he was going to be rookie of the year. I mean, he, he was unbelievable from Memphis. And then he just, you know, he just, he never really, he just got worse. It seemed like year after year until now he's he's out of the NBA. Even though he, you know, he's still what is he like twenty nine or something like that. So there's so many variables that go into whether a player ends up being successful or not. I think we're so far away at this point from being able to, you know, have the formula for knowing whether a guy is going to pan out or not and. You know, we assign credit to NBA teams, NBA scouts and say, oh, these guys are geniuses. You know, they found this guy, they found that. But like, I do feel like there is there's a lot of luck involved. And there's so many things that go on behind the scenes that we don't even realize that guiding a player towards being his best self that I don't want to understate what we do. But, you know, it's only one way. It's a small part of the process, you know, evaluating a guy in college. He, he's on court play
1: right and there are also a lot of different ways that teams can use the advantages they have so i was thinking about jason tatum so jason tatum has been put in a wonderful circumstance to succeed he's also worked incredibly hard with the celtics to become especially defensively to just fit in with their system and be able to execute i think he's done a wonderful job this year far beyond just his three-point shot going in at an amazing rate early on and then you can also think about something that i've been impressed with overall is san antonio so they've been able to take yeah, sure they've gotten some real, you know, Hall of Fame talent, whether you want to go back to Tony and Manu and Tim Tim Duncan and of course David Robinson back in the day, but also by finding Bryn Forbes, Jonathan Simmons, guys that they didn't devote a ton of resources to but were able to find put in the right circumstance, and they didn't always, you know, they didn't pay Jonathan Simmons, but he they helped make him into something better than he was before and gave him an opportunity. So that's identification. And it might not be definitive in terms of who wins a championship, but those two different kind of strands of putting guys in the right circumstance and finding players that make sense for what you want to do can really help a team on the margins and then beyond the margins make the most out of it because these teams have limited resources to get better. Sure, yeah. I mean,
0: that... Uh... That's absolutely plays a huge role in whether a guy ends up being successful or not. Where where he goes to, and so yeah, that that plays a big part in it. And we always make like our top 100 rankings before the draft, and then you know the day after you see where these guys end up, and you're like, geez, I, now I'd like to have a do over and put this guy 20 spots higher or 20 spots lower because you know he just ended up in a right spot where you know he's going to get minutes, and you know he's going to develop, and you know he's going to work on the things that he needs to. And you know, if there's a guy that you really like, he was drafted. If you draft him to the wrong spot, and now he's like the fourth string power forward on a in a team that historically doesn't develop players very well, then you're like, geez, you know, like uh, I wish I didn't have him in the top ten anymore. I wish I had him at thirty. So you know, there's um there's a lot that goes into that. You're right.
1: If ESPN would let you run it. I would actually love to see that, especially because that gets into the idea of context importance here. And and that, you know, a lot of these guys are close and, and the opportunities they're going to get, and that can not only be a short term thing. I mean, yeah, Donovan Mitchell is benefiting a lot from it, but also even if he hadn't gotten that opportunity, largely due to guys being heard and everything like that, just the idea of okay, he's gonna be asked to do the right things and work with that. I mean, I would love to read that if it were if it were available to do just because it is so important important. And there are elements of it that certain people understand better than I do. And, and you, you and Mike certainly are among those.
0: Yeah, you have to be careful, though. Oh, so yeah. I can't go <laughs>
1: with
0: The NBA, that's why know. I don't
1: think it'll be published. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But but that's, this is why we have
0: beers and we can talk about these things. Right.
1: So. Exactly. Exactly. And there are certain things that can't come up here. But that's a good way of of turning a little bit of attention for the time that we have left to the 2018 draft, which is now about five months away. Wow. It's there's going to be a lot that happens in those five months. But I think the place to start is really who you think at this moment, because I know this has changed over the last few months, who you think is worthy of consideration right now without knowing who's going to get the number one pick, but who's really in that conversation as of right now?
0: Conversation for what, number one? For number or, one overall. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the tier at the top is pretty narrow. I would say it's Doncic and Aiton, and then maybe to a lesser extent, you can talk about Bamba because he's, he's such a freak, and you know, he's such an outlier, and... And he's really coming on as the season moves along too. But this is an interesting draft for me because I think it's really strong at the top. You can talk about seven, eight, maybe nine guys, and I and I really do think that all these guys are very, very different. They all are going to play very different roles in the NBA. So I could really see the teams at the top there really having it ranked very differently with their own individual boards, with, you know, how they play, what they have on their roster, what they value. And so I, I could see a scenario where, you know, who goes one, two is really dramatically affected by the lottery and, um, you know, who who has those picks because I would have the tier at the top as, you know, Doncic, Ayton and then maybe Bamba. But I could see some teams in the NBA – Really valuing Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson, Trey Young, Michael Porter. And I think those guys are going to be in the conversation, too.
1: I haven't been able yet to watch much of of Doncic this year. I know his statistical stuff has been absolutely incredible. But how has he looked to you when you've seen him either on film in person or both? I mean, it's just... You're
0: almost like a fan when you go to like a Doncic game. It's just like, it's such an experience watching the guy play even on film. And it's, it's hard to sometimes kind of pull yourself away from it and not be a fan about it because he's, he's so fun to watch and he's so much better than everybody on the court. You know, and it's so unique for a guy that age. You know, you're, we're so used to going to watch 18, 19 year olds in Europe and just praying that they even get off the bench for 10 minutes. And so it's so refreshing to see this guy playing at the highest level of basketball outside the NBA and just watching him dominate. It's crazy. And um, just the way that he controls the game, the way he controls tempo, he's so skilled, he's so smart. I think, I mean, it's, it's going to translate to the NBA. There's no question about it for me. And I mean, we saw in the EuroBasket this past summer, you know what he was able to do against NBA players, against France, against Spain, against Latvia, you know with Porzingis. So I, um, I mean he he's he's a really really unique player, and um, it's it's a lot of fun to watch. And I don't I'm, I'm not sure we're ever gonna have a guy like Doncic in the draft again, honestly.
1: His track record is ludicrous because you think of, as you said, the opportunity that he's been getting, and then you remember, oh yeah, he hasn't turned 19 yet. Like, this is a very different thing than we're ever used to, and as you mentioned... The A C B is the second best basketball league in the world. He's playing against grown men. He's playing against professionals, and that he has accomplished what he has accomplished is something that we don't really have a parallel for. I mean, there have been, of course, college guys that came in with great pedigrees, and oftentimes that's not even like you know these, let's say, three and four year college guards that do a really good job. I mean, Doncic has that kind of a resume to me as a as as a player, but he's still eighteen. Which is insane.
0: Yeah, it really is. Yeah, there, there's never, there's never been a guy like him, and like I said, I'm not sure there's ever going to be a guy like him again.
1: My biggest concern, and again, this is just me needing to watch a lot more film of him, is whether he's going to be able to reliably create separation. Because really, the one of the big question, one of the big definitive points in terms of his value is can the if, if the ball is in his hands most possessions, can you do a let's say top half NBA offense or something like that. And the fortunate thing with with Doncic is that we have seen him against NBA caliber athletes. We have seen him, you know, in in various settings. And that's that's exciting. But are you feeling confident in that? I mean, to me, if you have if if a guy is going to be number one in a class like this, where people are positive about the top guys, this isn't like Owakandi or something like that where you have to put somebody number 1 People, these are guys that you're making affirmative cases for do you, are you confident in that ability against you know where the guys he's going to be facing in the NBA
0: I am yes i mean I, I do think it's going to be important to have the right type of players around him but i think that he's going to he's going to be a starting point guard in the NBA he's going to be a really good one and um you know there'll be some growing pains initially but I just think he's too smart and he's too skilled and he's too big and he's too strong to, to fail. I really do. And I, I don't – and I feel like, um, you know, I don't think you can do the things that he does without being athletic. I hear all the time that he's not athletic and, you know, I, I just laugh at it, you know, because – he does really athletic things on the court and i do think that one of the things that we do that the nba does the best job at now and, you know there's a lot of things that Europe, european basketball does really well but i think one of one of the areas where the nba is miles ahead is the strength and conditioning component and uh you know the flexibility uh you know all the Just the, the sports science, the way that we analyze, you know, hip movement and, and and all these things. And, and I, and I think that that's where he's, he's got the chance to make the biggest gains. He's already done it a little bit, um, at P3, but, you know, they only, they only had him for a few weeks at a time. And you talk to those guys and they'll tell you, and this guy has got, he's got so much more room to improve, um, in, in in that regard. And and I think that, I think he's going to be fine. I already do. Um, I can't see. I can't have. I can't see having another guy at number one right now. You know, unless you know DeAndre Ayton really takes the next step in his development and starts showing more defensively. And you know, there's a lot of questions there. You know, in terms of the physical and all that. You know, how how is he going to grade out? So at this stage, you know, we leave it open because you you have to. I mean, it's such a talented class, but I I don't share those same concerns a lot of people do about Doncic. I don't.
1: One other question I had for you is. I'm so happy, especially the Sixers can be the model for this for whoever gets for whoever gets Luka Doncic. But the idea of separating out a player's offensive role and defensive role, you know, Ben Simmons has been the point guard. You know, he's running point guard stuff. He's doing, you know, he's initiating pick and roll, doing all that stuff despite being 6'10". And then he's guarding, you know, whoever they need to. He's not just, oh, he's our point guard, so he has to guard the other team's point guard. He has done that at moments, and so with Doncic... I'm hopeful that the team that drafts him will have him defend whatever makes the most sense for him. And when I've watched him, I've thought of him more as a guy who should be defending twos and threes. And some people say, "Oh, that's you know, that's a little bit weird." But I actually think that maximizes his value a little bit. I mean, you're probably not you, he, you're not going to put him on the other team's you know best scorer, but you weren't going to do that anyway. So I think that could actually be a really good role for him defensively.
0: Yeah, I mean. Uh he's going to guard twos, threes, and even fours. I mean, he, he's a big, strong dude and, uh, you know, when he wants to, he can really put a body on guys. And so I I do, I do think that guarding point guards is going to be a little bit of a challenge for him definitely early on. So yeah, I I think he's going to be using a lot of different roles and, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't see that being an issue, honestly.
1: You brought up earlier and talking about the idea of different roles. Uh, with Aiton, the guy I'd be draw parallels to him. He's one of the few guys, or that I was lucky enough I got to see him play in a high school game, and I think about that a lot. But with talented, especially offensively gifted centers, one potential mitigating factor beyond the supply issue, which is becoming a thing, where they're just there are just so many big dudes that can play. And I mean, of course, if you're really good, it doesn't matter. You can you're always valuable. But offensively it is a very dependent position because you're not going to be running the offense or anything like that. And, and it, you know, I, I, think to Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, Towns is a special offensive player for his size and for his role, but he is functionally limited by how often he gets the ball and I don't think I'm at the point yet where I'm going to really degrade a guy too much because of that, because that's a, it's a little bit unfair and B if a guy is so good, generally the opportunities are going to get there. But I do think it's important in the modern NBA to be clear eyed about that and be honest about it because it is a limitation in terms of the actual value that the guys, especially if they're not great defensively can provide on the court. I mean, I I
0: agree with you to a certain extent, but there are a lot of, you know, really high usage, Big men in the NBA too. I mean, I think it, it. You know, you look at Embiid, you look at Demarcus Cousins, uh, you look at Porzingis. You know, there there are definitely teams who run their offense through the bigs. And I mean, and the the difference here is that those guys are really really skilled. They they can soak up those possessions. And so I don't I don't necessarily agree that you know every big man. You know, you have to look at him through the prism of okay, he's just going to be a pick and roll finisher. Uh, he's just going to be an offensive rebounder. I think there are a lot of different roles for big men. And I, I, I think it's more a lack of supply of really highly skilled bigs than it is a demand, you know, because and th- there are different teams that, you know, utilize their bigs in different ways. You look at like the Spurs, for example, I mean, they run a lot of stuff through, through Lamarcus Aldridge. I mean, that, that, that guy is a very important part of their offense and you know, they start two bigs at the same time and they're a really good team and they've done it for years so while we all really enjoy the small ball movement you know like there are different ways to do it and there are different ways to be successful so i I don't necessarily agree that every you know you have to kind of look at every big and say okay what is he going to do you know with half the usage in the nba or whatever
1: that's certainly fair and especially if a guy can can have different real significant positives than if they're strong enough a team is going to figure out how to use it i mean that that's really a part of it and with with aiden one of the the elements that he could be really fascinating at i remember this even going back to the, the times i saw him when he was really when he was younger was if he can get just a smaller guy like on a switch and just get guy he can get guys in foul trouble he can get guys his own size in foul trouble he can do all those sorts of things as well and he has the physical potential to be imposing and 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 impactful defensively. He hasn't manifested that in the same way that somebody like Mo Bamba has or Joel Embiid did when he was in college. But I would say to a degree, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say the potential, like I think Bamba or or Embiid, those guys both have defensive player potential and did when they were in college. But Aiden is just such a talent that I'm not going to, in any way, shape, or form, write him off for that sort of thing.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that. I think that we're still kind of figuring out what kind of player DeAndre Ayton is exactly? I mean, he's, he's evolving as the year has moved on. I think he's, he's starting to place a little bit more emphasis, you know, the last five, seven games on being a better presence defensively and he's still inconsistent with that, but I think he's making strides. Uh, you know, we're seeing him become a little bit better in terms of his passing. So to, one of the big things that I came into this year thinking is, Understanding that you're not going to figure out the draft perfectly, you know, by January 1. You know, I think we get the offseason is so long in college. And, you know, when when it finally the season starts November 10th, you get so excited. You want to watch every guy two, three, four, five times and really try and kind of come to these conclusions and get you get set in them too early. And that's where I think mistakes get made. I mean, when I think back to like Kyle Kuzma, for example, you know, who. We liked him, obviously, but we didn't, nobody saw this coming, what he's doing now. And I think when I look back on my evaluation of Kuzuma, I think one of the problems was I watched him too much in November and December and he wasn't very good. And then you come to that conclusion, you're like, okay, this is what he is. He's a second round guy. And then you just move on to other dudes. And that's really dangerous because even a guy like him who is a fourth year, a fourth year player in college, he's still evolving. As his, you know, his fourth year in college is moving on. And I think that's what we missed a little bit to a certain extent was he was amazing in January, February, and March. And I think if you, if you, if you're, if you're too uh, eager to jump to conclusions early in the season, you, there's a chance that you'll miss that. And I think that's this year I kind of decided to myself, let's just ignore a lot of the noise in November. I'm not going to watch DeAndre Ayton against Northern Arizona. I'm not going to watch DeAndre Ayton against Pacific. And it's not because you're being lazy. It's because there's just such limited value to those matchups. Now, let's wait until the Pac-12. Let's keep an open mind as much as we can, and then see how he's evolving. Because you know, he's in his first year of college basketball. He's never really been coached in his life. You know, we all want to figure this thing out so fast sometimes that you can miss the boat on on, on guys like that.
1: It happens at other levels too. I was thinking about this last year where I believe it was Jeff Teague had a really rough first two, three weeks of the season when he was in Indiana and it was that whole circumstance because there was that three, the, the two point guards that got traded, George Hill and and Jeff Teague and so I was thinking oh, yeah, I wanted to watch those teams early I wanted to see how they were doing and all that kind of stuff and Teague was rough those first two weeks and that shaded my evaluation of him his whole season for like three or four whole months and it's amazing how that can happen where when you feel like you've got it and you just have to realize that this stuff is changing all the time and having it at one moment means you have a sense of where they were then that doesn't mean you know exactly where they're going where they are and I mean it's, it's, it's true for DeAndre Ayton as it can be for guys that are in in the pros, especially when they're in a new circumstance where they have to learn all this stuff, they're playing for a different coach, they're playing with different teammates, and while there are certain things that can get done in training camp, I mean, there I've said before that the best and worst time for a player to be outside of their norm is at the, the like the first two weeks of the season and the last two weeks of the season because that's what sticks with people. And I've tried myself to unmoor from that because that's what leads to mistakes. And we're in the business of not making mistakes a second time.
0: No, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if, if we're talking about a 27-year-old guy, you know, evolving throughout the season, then what are we going to say about a 19-year-old, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really important to keep an open mind on, on all this stuff. And um, there's so many guys who are, you know, in the NBA now who just, you know, weren't very good their first few years. And but they kept working and they kept getting better. You know, you look at like a a DeMar DeRozan or a Kyle Lowry, you know, like, it's just, uh, you, you you, can't ever think you have this thing figured out. You always have to keep going back to that well, keep refreshing, keep getting new intel, keep watching, you know, keep trying to, and it, it's hard because, you know, that's not the way our brain is wired. You know, we want to, you know, watch a guy draw this really hard definitive conclusion, close the book, and then move on to the next dude. But and unfortunately, that's just not not the way you can do it
1: one of the players I think about without a lot cuz I covered him his rookie year and then not after that because the Warriors cut him was Jeremy Lin. Lin that first year, you know, there were elements that you saw of what ended up being what ended up being, you know, a successful NBA career. He's been unfortunate the last couple of years with injuries, but it was at the same point he got he got cut right before training camp. That was the year of the lockout and he had worked a, 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 apparently a lot that that offseason, the extended offseason on his game and then they cut him before that first practice. And that sort of thing happens. I mean, they were doing that to space to actually make an offer sheet for deandre jordan but something i wanted to ask you of course your time is your time is valuable so let's we'll move outside of the top 10 you know those guys have been discussed i've discussed them on the show as well who of that kind of outside that group and they can i'm talking it's gonna be 10 to 100 wherever wherever it is for you who of that group would you say like that, that you like, maybe you like more than has been talked about and maybe you'd say, hey, if you're somebody who's more focused on the NBA, maybe watch a game or two of this guy to see what to see what makes him interesting.
0: Oh, I was at a I was at the St. John's Creighton game uh, this week, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday. You know someone that's gonna be really fun to track and see how his NBA career evolves is Kyrie Thomas. You know, he, he doesn't really jump off the page at you right away because, know, I mean, he averages like 13, 14 points a game in, in, in the Big East and he's, he's only like six three, and he really plays mostly on the wing, but he's interesting because he's, he's so freaking long. He's got like a 6'11 wingspan and he's, you know, one of the best defenders in college basketball. They put him anywhere from one through four and, um, he's become a, pretty good shooter too. He's shooting close to 40% for three and they'll run a lot of stuff through him offensively. I and mean, Creighton is, is just a pleasure to watch. They're one of the, you know, the most kind of NBA friendly evaluations you can get because they do so much stuff in the early offense and, and their players are so well coached and they have this flow to them that you really don't see a lot of in college, college watching college sometimes can sometimes it's be really, really boring. I mean, it's a lot of it is just like a slog. So Creighton, if you you know if you if you get a chance to watch them, I think NBA fans will enjoy the way they play. You know, they just lost their their best big guy. He tore his ACL, so they're forced to do more stuff through the guards. And and so Kyrie Thomas is fun. You know, his backcourt mate Marcus Foster is also really fine. He's like a big. Strong six three combo guard who can just score from anywhere can really really shoot it. Uh, so and that that's one guy I would say people might enjoy watching. And then um, let's see. I mean, um, I'm curious to see you know which direction Daniel Gafford from Arkansas goes. He's you know, he's someone that you will catch him on the wrong night and he's just not going to give you anything. He's he's a six eleven super athletic big man who is very, very raw physically still in terms of his, his strength. And he's not a great offensive player by any means, but he's just such an outlier athletically with the way he moves and the way he runs and the way he can, how quick off the ground he is. And, you know, he'll make two or three plays per game where you're like, geez, you know, like he could have done that in the NBA, but uh, half the time, you know, it's almost like he's, you're watching him and you're like, this guy is so raw. He's going to take him two or three years. So, you know, he's, He's interesting because he was from like a really small town in Arkansas and, uh, you know, right on the border with Louisiana, never really left that small high school. And so we wasn't, you know, he wasn't really a very highly touted guy coming into the year. And um, he's really kind of exceeded all expectations. And so he's someone that you know, it be fun to kind of watch and track and see how he progresses as the year moves on.
1: Gafford was a guy who, who surprised me just because I thought I had a, a decent handle on a lot of the the guys in this class going to some of the events, not nearly, of course, as many as you do. And I heard his name and I'm just like, have I ever seen that guy before? Like it, that, And it does happen and it's great when somebody can really break out, but that makes sense that he was from that small school and stayed more within that bubble. And Yeah, I'm I'm excited to watch him because he's somebody I've heard a little bit about and just want to really see where this goes. And I'm also, just because I'm always so fascinated in guard play, just to see if any of these kind of combo guys like Shake Milton can really develop because the league always needs players who can can do things with the ball in their hands, whether it's as a scorer, distributor, or both.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's really the strength of this year's draft is Guys like Shake Milton, like Kyrie Thomas, like the Anthony Melton guards, who aren't very good with the ball, who are who do everything else. They're really good defenders. They can make a spot up jumper. They're unselfish, kind of like you know that Marcus Smart, that um, Patrick Beverly role, you know, where they'd be great playing alongside a star. But if you give them the ball and you ask them to go run an NBA offense, there's just no chance that they can do it.
1: Is there anything else? I mean, obviously there are a million other things we could discuss, but is there anything else that you feel like is right now is kind of happening on the, in the, in your world that you think is worth sharing to somebody who might not be as in tune with it as you are?
0: Oh, I don't, I mean, my my world is, is, is pretty boring to be honest with you. You know, it's just (laughs) like watching film and, you know, going to games and it's not nearly as exotic. As it looks, you know. I mean, for every you know uh, PK eighty championship game you go to, you you need to go watch Iona and Canisius and um, you know. And so <laughs> there is um. It's uh, I mean it's it it there's a there's a process we get to, but it's it's really fun to do it, and um, you know you just got to keep your eyes open and and hope that you don't screw it up. You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That, that's totally fair. Well, keep up the great work, and thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Jonathan Gavoni for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, read his work now through ESPN. And I mean, the the wealth of information that is available with all of their stuff is incredible. I mean, I've been using Draft Express since it existed. I think I was on it the first day it started because I had been familiar with Jonathan's work before that. And of course, you can also follow him on Twitter. He has the Draft Express handles. That's D R A F T E X P R E S S. And you should of course follow Mike Schmitz and and they have a I think it's called Draft Express. Content is also another one of their, their accounts, and they do videos and stuff from there. And you should absolutely check that out. I mean, they are an invaluable resource. One of Many, but one of my favorites in terms of all this, and especially as somebody who doesn't have the time to do what Jonathan does, having people like him allows me to do better research in the amount of time available to me than I would otherwise. And so I'm deeply appreciative of what they do because it makes everything else easier. And I I, I enjoy it. And as we talked about, like one of my favorite things that Draft Express has always done is is those interviews, and you can really go back. And I like doing that in person. I've talked before about the conversation, short conversation I had with Jason Tatum back at the 2016, I think it was, Hoop Summit and and my thoughts on that and how I, I thought I gained a better sense of him. And I think that's kind of part of where we went with that conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. It was definitely something kind of different in that way, but something that I really enjoy doing with Real GM Radio that is getting in depth in a different way, getting in depth with somebody who knows an element of this business in a way that very few others do. And that's what I want to do. It's one of the, one of the key ways. And if you want to hear my more timely stuff, of course, you can listen to the Dunked On Basketball podcast I do with Nate Duncan. You can read my work, Real GM, of course, The Athletic, and Sporting News. I have a couple of Sporting News pieces that have come out recently, and of course, everything everywhere else. And if you want to support this podcast, there are lots of ways you can do it. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player you're choosing, but in the interest of full candor, it's great if it's Apple, if it's iTunes, because there's still the end all be all in terms of advertisers and all that kind of stuff. And of course, you can always support advertisers. That's a great thing you can do. Also, subscribing and downloading every episode. Real Jam Radio, as those of you who have been longtime subscribers know, it comes out when it comes out. It'll all, it, There will be one every week, but when it comes out in that week is dependent because I actually edit Real Jam Radio myself. There are reasons for that. And that means that it's when I have the time to do it. And of course, when the trade deadline comes around, that means that, you know, like originally this was supposed to come out on, I recorded it on Sunday morning. Then it was supposed to come out on Tuesday, but then the like Griffin trade happened and everything like that. So it got pushed back a day. That sort of thing can happen, but I'm so appreciative of, you know, making sure that I get the guests that I want and all that. So, and that's also part of the reason why the show is less timely because I know that it can sometimes be a delay. So hopefully you're cool with that. Hopefully you enjoy it. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Danny LaRue NBA at gmail.com. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. I might not respond because that takes a lot more time, but I really do appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
0: Are you and the person you care for not satisfied with your current home care agency? Then you need to call Help at Home as we offer the highest paid wages, weekly pay, overtime pay, benefits, and do not forget paid time off. Help at Home is actively recruiting caregivers who are caring for a loved one. We make changing agencies quick
1: and easy. Call one of our care professionals now at 412-784-6711. That's 412-784-6711 or go to helpathomepa.com do it for the team
0: the free covid vaccine is fda authorized for kids five and up do it for your besties and the resties it's safe for your child and can help protect their friends
1: do it for birthdays
0: and help protect your family
1: and game night when you give your child the vax you give them the power to learn do it for field trips and camp out. to experience and big hugs And to be a kid. Get your child vaccinated and give them the power. Paid for with Pennsylvania taxpayer dollars.